how's your day been? Uh, it's been good. I've just been, uh, you know, puttering and attending a few things. I'm, I'm actually, uh, uh, I get out of the city quite a bit at this time of year to uh, to photograph. And I've um, there's a couple of Hutterite colonies that I regularly visit. So I, I was kind of getting ready for that. And I, I'm really glad that we're able to connect today because it's kind of uh, on the agenda for the next couple of days. So um, no, for sure. Hutterite colonies, I was watching something recently. Do they allow photography in terms of showing themselves or I think that might be a different no you're you're absolutely right and it's uh you know that this particular colony that I'm visiting I've, I've had a 23 year relationship with them and you're right like I mean when I first went in there 23 years ago to build that uh, trust and it, it's, it's a lengthy process and the, the kind of the theological underpinning behind it Zach is that they um they especially the conservative Hutterites, they see it as kind of a prideful or a vain activity, right. image making. So yeah, it's 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 rare that people are given permission. Uh, and um, like I've been photographing them now for almost a quarter of a century. And one of my early books was on this particular colony. But, but yeah, as a general rule, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. And it's, sure. it's part of their faith tradition, which, which would limit that. That's why they all wear the same clothes or the various styles, because again, it's, it's vanity, it's ego, it's no, we're all the same. That's exactly right. That, that's a big part of their, of their, um, their culture. And belief. You know, for, uh, there's a kind of a humility and, uh, you know, placing the group ahead of the individual, essentially. So that's, uh, you're absolutely yeah. right. About that. George, when you go to places such as the Hutterites or anywhere, yeah. how have you been able over the years to build trust? And how does trust get built, especially in photography and what you're capturing? Uh, you kind of asked the central question. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I think um, by nature, I'm uh, a bit of an introvert. And uh, when I put a camera on my neck, it kind of tugs me into these places, right? And, uh, you know, I photographed extensively um, with the Hutterites, uh, uh, also a very, very lengthy project photographing on the the blood, or it's more commonly known as the Kainai Reserve, which is uh, south of Calgary, which is Canada's largest um, First Nations reserve. I've done a lot of photography in inner city uh, hotels and bars where the drug and sex trade was flourishing. So, so yeah, like, yeah, how do you walk in there with a camera and start to photograph? And, um, you know, partly it's, uh, I think, when I approach people, I, I'm really honest. I tell them, you know, I tell them who I am what I would like to do and what I intend to do with the photographs. And, you know, in my case, it's I'm George Weber. I'm a photographer. You know, if you permit me to come in here and spend some time, these photographs could end up in um, books or magazines or many of them. Most of them ultimately end up in um, important Canadian museums like the uh, the Art Gallery of Alberta, um, the Glenbow, yes. the National Archives. They all have extensive holdings of my work. Um, and one of the editors uh, that I worked with on one of my first projects, she said, she said, you're just so earnest <laughs> when you come in there and approach these people. And it's, it's not just a, it's not just a pose, Zach. Uh, I, it's, it's a bit of a calling, right? I think it's an important thing. And I think the, uh, the ability to, to record these stories is, is a bit of a gift I have. I'm, I'm scrupulously honest and careful with the people that I photograph. And astonishingly, 
people most of the time pick that up, right? And it's also, I think, based on the fact that I've, you know, I've, I've done the right thing for decades uh, when, I, when I'm interacting with people. And, you know, if I ever take a photograph, even with permission, that I think might in any way be damaging to the person, that stuff gets deleted, right? I'm, I'm very uh, cognizant of that. It's, um, so it's, it's something that I, you know, I, I have a, a great longing to do. I have a, a certain capacity for uh, earning people's trust. And uh, in my work, especially uh, when I'm entering into these communities, like as a white person or as a non-Hutterite or as a, you know, going into a in, into an inner city hotel, uh, you know, the way that you approach people um, and and win their trust is is central. It, it's a gift. It's a blessing. And there's something extraordinary about uh, people granting that trust, giving you that sort of level of intimate uh, access to to their lives. And oftentimes, I found them that once that uh, that relationship has been formed. Often people, uh, they value the sense of uh, being listened to. They value the sense of their stories being recorded. And uh, that's a great gift. And I, I honor that gift in, in any and every way that I can. And that's just, you know, essential to the way that I work. It's, it's very much respect both ways. Yeah. Very much so, Zach. That's, yeah. very, that's very true. You know, when you look back at your life, I mean, how many, 40, over 40 years now, 45 years, would you say? Yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah, I've been, I've been sort of <laughs> photographing for about 45 years. Wow. And just kind of, uh, but, but it's been, it's, it's been such an enriching, nurturing thing for me. It, it gets me out of here, which is good. It gets me yes. out there into the world. And it's just, uh, it's been a mental health thing. It's been a break. It's, it's, uh, it's a bit of an addiction. It's uh it's a joy. It's uh, you know, it's a way of getting me out of the house. You know, it it it's it serves me in many ways, and I think it's uh, the the energy and the the constancy that I brought to it is because of it's uh, the rewards that it's uh, given me over the years. Right. It's almost a second line of oxygen. That's really true. Like, I mean, it, you know, if I'm having a bad day, or if I've had a dust up with a colleague or a, a girlfriend or something like that, it's therapeutic, right? It really is because. You know, when you think about photography as an activity, uh, it's all about looking out from here, out into the world, and then being sort of astonished or moved or inspired mm -hmm. by what you see in the world. And so I think it's a, it's a healthy thing. It's a, you know, it, it literally does take you out into the world. And um, it, it, I think it, when it's really good, you sort of go through a, a, a step, a series of steps, like you know something, then you start to really see it, then you start to really appreciate it, and then it's sort of a, a bit of a longing to record it, um, and, it, and it's 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 linked into that that connection between the um, seeing and gratitude, and when it's really good, it almost is a is a prayerful activity, because you look at something uh, and you're invited to appreciate it and to and to and to treat it with reverence, and a camera is one of the tools it's not certainly the only one but it's one of the tools that people sometimes use to to have that uh heightened relationship or bring a level of gratitude uh or i'm going to say sometimes almost a, a spiritual uh, uh connection to to the uh mm -hmm. the people and places that you photograph 
were you born in Calgary, George? Uh, born in Drumheller. Okay. Significant, right? Because when I was a kid, I used to go with my grandfather, Frank, and used to go hunting around in the hills. Right. And you know, I've, I've got a dinosaur bone. I, I can't show it, but it's it's a, it's about as big as a small child sitting in my basement, right? Oh, my goodness. And, <laughs> and at that time, in the late 1950s, that was kind of a legal activity. And that's, you can't really do that anymore. Right? No. But, you know, that whole idea of, of finding things and discovering things and poking around and the whole idea of uh, the past is an interesting sort of a mm -hmm. tool or an interesting element of uh, narrative and, and storytelling is important to me because you know, when you think about photography, photography always takes place in the present and then it immediately uh, moves something into the past, right? It's, it's all about that uh, transition. And it's also for me often about the, um, that, that sense of, 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 of discovery and looking deeply and then sometimes being rewarded with a big old dinosaur bone you can bring home with you, right? That's amazing. Did you know what dinosaur bone that was? Uh, but we believe, I'm just trying to remember now, uh, there was, a, we believe that it was from a duck-billed dinosaur, which is quite a common uh, species here in the, uh, through the Alberta Badlands. Wow, that's amazing. When you first picked up a camera, is that when you realized I have an eye? Or was there something when you were growing up where people had said, hey, George, you know what? You got a gift here. You got a talent. Well, you know, I, uh, it, it's, it's even more dramatic than that. Uh, I went to journalism school. I have a political science and a journalism degree. I went to uh, Carleton yes. in Ottawa. And one of our recommended op options uh, in the journalism program was uh, photography. And I said, like, no way, man. I don't like that stuff. It's too technical. There's like ISO, there's F-stops. I just, and I, I am not well-suited. I'm a stoneman. I mean, I, I have a working knowledge, but it, my brain doesn't work that way. Uh, I got my first job, uh, which was working as a, as a writer, editor at uh, St. Polytechnic here in Calgary. And so I, I walked into my boss's office the first day and he said, George, we want, we're, we're interested in doing a little uh, series of instructional films uh, that we can use on the educational channel. And I said, oh, that sounds good. He said, it's about photography. And I thought, oh, God, no, not photography, <laughs> please. So I went down to the library at SAIT, and I came across a book. And on the spine, it said, uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson. Now, people who know photography, Cartier-Bresson was um, an incredibly influential and you know, one of the great photographers in the history of photography and, and notable for his street photography, essentially, his candid work. Uh, the, a lot of the most famous work was done between, say, the mid-1930s and the mid-1970s. So I'm flipping through this book and I was just blown away by it, right? And uh, when I closed the book, and this is about 45 years ago, I knew more than anything else in the world I wanted to be a photographer. So I didn't come to photography because I like cameras or because I'm techie or because I like um, picture making. I don't, I don't even really like photographs that much in some ways, or photography or cameras, but I love photographs. I love photographs. And when I saw this work and then started to kind of look at work by other master photographers, you know, it, it hit me right in the heart, right? I thought there's something in here that is so powerful and so attractive and so moving to me. And then when I thought back, I remember when I was you know, taking the bus to school and things like that, I'd be sort of watching people, you know, their boots, the way they sat. 
And so I think there's something that's embedded in me that has kind of a curiosity about people and I'm observant. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was literally that book and it was that sort of tradition, that documentary photography tradition mm -hmm. really drew me in. And it's uh, and I grudgingly then learned a little bit about how to work in the dark room, you know, how to work with a digital camera, an analog camera. But it's, it's been a painful, slow journey. Oh, I, I, I'm sure. Can uh, can tell you sort of thing. So I, my aptitude and my skills are really kind of on the soft skills, right? They're not on the, the technical side. But I grudgingly learned all of that stuff. But it was, it was I saw something. I was deeply moved by it. I wanted to be a part of that mm. of that powerful tradition was there certain photos in that book that stood out to you was it the way an individual was sitting or the expressions on their face yeah well you know i think it's uh it's telling because you know if you think about photography as an activity a lot of people do photographs um which is great you know uh, it's, uh but making a photograph which is really good and making a photograph that might potentially as i do i hope with my work that it's going to still be look really good in 25 or 50 or 100 years uh involves something just a little bit more complicated than just capturing an image um i think often the really great photographs i mean they they show something they show somebody sitting for instance as you, as you referenced but they sometimes embedded in the photograph is little clues about values you know economics sociology distribution patterns uh right. the way the city's changing in calgary in particular in terms of the um you know just the, the diversity of the city that occurred in the 45 years that those photographs were made for that book and um so, this one right here uh yeah yeah well you know and if you look at that you know, so when I, I, I did, and I don't, this stuff doesn't, I'm not kind of thinking when I'm shooting, but if you look at that photograph or hold it up, if you just hold it back up for a second to the camera, All right. so what, what, what you're looking at there is you're looking at uh, a situation where you have a guy down at the stampede. So it's, it's there's some color. It's interesting mm -hmm. on that level. But then it, then you're going to notice you've got this, this uh, white male moving mm -hmm. right to left. That's somebody kind of going, you know, you could say, you could be saying going backwards. There's a group of uh, uh, perhaps new Canadians moving left to right, kind of moving forward. Uh, other things that are interesting though, which and I do think this photograph could be interesting in 50 years from now is the guy's carrying a, a, a one-time quickly disposable plastic cup. He, he's, he's got this plastic donut over his shoulder. He's got this, yes. this teddy bear made in China, imported to Canada, shipped over here, all of these things are derived from petrochemical products, right? So when people look at that in 50 years, they're going to say, what? <laughs> I mean, th this kind of sort of promiscuous use of, of, of materials and resources, and I'm not mm -hmm. anti oil or anything like that, but, but it's, it's, it's interesting. So my work is never political. It's never advocate. There's never kind of an advocacy, but there's, but, you know, in 50 years, people are going to look at that and they're going to say, isn't that, fascinating isn't that an interesting little insight into a particular time you know uh, right. racial things happening absolutely things happening all of those things happening now 
when I was standing there, because that photograph was done in the fraction, I was, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to think of something yeah. really smart, right? But that's one of the beauties of photography. It sometimes gives you, gives you something much richer, more complicated, and more nuanced and interesting than you could have thought, right? Mm -hmm. But when I'm photographing, I'm always hoping that there's, you know, there's, there's multiple levels with which that photograph can be appreciated. When you think about it, some, uh, one critic once said that, you know, photography is kind of like diamond cutting. Right. Like you hit, you see something like the stone or the situation, you, you strike with exactly the right pressure from exactly the right angle, and it opens something mm -hmm. up to something that's, that's richer or more beautiful that resides within that moment. You know, when you're, you're taking these photos, I've heard this before, I don't know if it's true, but they say, well, a great photographer will only take about two to three shots max. You know, that, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good observation. It's probably becoming less true, even for old people like me. Uh, in the days of, uh, and I still do work with analog photography, uh, and I have a beautiful black and white dark room in the basement wow. that I love to spend time in. Yeah. Uh, but it's true, like in an earlier era, sort of these, well, like a photographer like Cartier-Bresson, these master photographers, you could physically maybe get two or three frames because it's shoot, cock, shoot, cock. I mean, there were, there were, there were you know, limits to how much you could shoot. Uh, there was just a little, and it, partly it's economics, right? Because, you know, you're paying for each frame. But the more important thing is just the logistics. You know, a 35 millimeter roll of film has 36 frames on it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're shooting and you're getting sort of near the end of the roll and you're being a little bit careless with the amount that you're shooting, you're stuck, man. If you see something spectacular out there just after you've gotten to about frame 34 or 35, you're out of commission, even if you're super quick at loading that camera for two or three minutes. So there's there's the practical things. Uh, I was informed by that tradition, so I probably shoot less than uh, perhaps some, some younger photographers. And also, because I learned in the analog tradition, where you're not really seeing what you've shot till maybe a week or two later, you have to be just a little bit more, sh a little sharper, a little bit more analytical in the moment. Um, uh, but having said all of that, um, you know, I'm developing the bad habits of my younger <laughs> colleagues as time goes on, right? It's easy to do. Uh, it does permit uh, situations where, uh, you know, you have more options. But that photograph that we just looked at a few moments ago, one-time thing, right? It was, it, was, it, it was shot on a digital camera. But that moment, uh, I only got one crack at it kind of a thing, right? And uh, I was lucky. I mean, that kind of photography, it's a combination of timing, intuition, but nobody who's honest will ever discount the role of luck in capturing uh, those really extraordinary moments. Mm -hmm. um, I, like I got one chance. So that was shot in exactly the same way that I would have been uh, shooting with an analog camera. Do you bring out the colors often? Are you using Photoshop or Lightroom when you're adding that finesse and that final touch on your photos? Well, you know, again, uh, Zach, because of my my tradition and my background, I, li I like a really beautifully crafted photograph, whether it's a, uh, a digital photograph or whether it's something I make in the basement in my black and white darkroom. Um, but I, uh, 
and I do a small amount of editing, maybe a little bit of sharp, maybe a little bit of mm -hmm. the color. But I, I try to stay really close to the way the, the, the thing looked when I, when I photographed it. Uh, because as a documentary photographer, uh, I think it, it, it illustrates a level of respect for the subject. Like I don't get in there and really work something. I try to come as close as I can to, to an honest capture because I think the thing itself is way better than any clever thing that I could think up or, or kind of juice it up essentially. This this photo makes me feel like I'm at the stampede. It doesn't look altered. I mean, you see the building in the background. It wasn't cropped out. It, it just, it's real. Well, thank you. And that's kind of what I'm I'm always hoping for because there's, there's a certain, uh, power to things that are done in that way. And the, I'll just mention one other thing briefly. This is a little techy, but maybe not. I almost, I work all virtually always with lenses that replicate normal human vision. You'll ever see some dramatic wide angle effect or telephoto effect in my documentary work. Now, when I'm doing commercial work, I'll, I'll do those things. But that thing that you're looking at there is as close to the way that the human eye would have seen it in terms of the editing, the color, you know, the perspective and everything uh, that is possible to, to achieve with a camera. And I, I believe that that's a, a respectful, honest, and ultimately uh, deeply convincing way to photograph. Now, would that be a 24? No, 24 would be still too wide. Good, you're close, buddy. You're close. They're getting there, right? Well, I'll, I'll tell, well, well, kind of the recipe, and I, this is one that I've used for many years, that uh, it's, there's kind of two lenses. That, that fall into that almost human vision is the 35, which is a tiny bit wide angle. Mm -hmm. And then there's a 50 millimeter lens, which is a tiny, tiny bit on mm -hmm. the wrong side. In theory, you know, because you've asked, the theoretical perfect lens is 43 and a half millimeters, but like nobody has or does. No. And so things that are in the 35 to 50, yeah. and the way that I work typically when I'm doing street photography, photograph like that, the 35, which is very close to normal human vision, just has a slightly wider angle. So it, it includes a bit, tiny bit more background. If I'm photographing, say, architecture and the like, I'll generally work with a 50. I mean, if, you know, they're very, very similar. Uh, the 50 has just a teeny tiny bit less tendency to kind of distort or curve the image, but they're, both of them are very, very close to the way that the human eye would see. You know, you go down to your dark room, is that more, because you like the rawness or what does those photos have that a digital camera couldn't do via turn down the saturation all, all the way? Well, you know, there, there's give a or take. Of, yeah, no, you're right. There's a couple of wonderful things. One of the things about analog photography is you really can't do too much, right? I mean, the, 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 the options are, are much more limited than they are with, um, with, uh, with digital photography. So I kind of like that. I kind of like the idea of, you know, uh, and when I'm printing black and white photographs, if you ever see them in a book, there's usually just a very thin black frame around yes. the image. That indicates that that's exactly the way that image was shot. There, there wasn't even a smidge of a crop done on that, right? Now that's a tradition uh, that came from this photographer that I mentioned earlier, Cartier-Bresson. Um, so there's a kind of a analog photography in the way I practice, it kind of encourages a simplicity and a directness because it kind of limits kind of what you can do. Uh, there is a distinctive look. Um, digital, uh, high quality digital printing um, uh, looks, looks fantastic. 
there's sometimes almost an overly real, overly sharp quality to, to digital capture that uh, uh, is mediated against by the slightly softer quality, I suppose, of, of an analog photograph. There's a certain, it's not that you, it's not possible to say that one is better or worse. Some people right. have analogized it to the difference between uh, you know, a vinyl record and a, and a CD, for instance. They're, they're different. They're not radically different. And many people wouldn't notice the difference. Uh, but there's also like these projects that I've worked with the Hutterites. Well, I've been photographing them for 23 and a half years now with my Leica camera with black and white film on right? And I just kind of want to see that. I want, I, want, I want the continuity of that project to, to exist. I mean, some other projects as well. I mean, I like the process. I like the look. But but I'm also thinking in terms of a body of work that I hope that there will be you know a continuity from the first to the last image, right? And it's also it's really good for me. There's a discipline and kind of a a, a craft and a slowing down and an attention enhancing thing uh, that analog photography kind of imposes on on photography. I believe. So that photo behind you right there, or a few of those, those are analog. To the right or to the left? To the right. Yeah, uh, over here kind of thing. Yeah, those are uh, uh, those are analog photographs. The, the the top one, or the one that you can see in the top of the frame there, is a picture taken, and it's actually in the book. It's it's uh, it's uh, taken at the Victoria Pavilion in 1976, and it's a couple of boys just looking at the at the ring in the Victoria Pavilion, and that was sort of my first documentary project. I um, was this skinny white kid from the suburbs and went down into this hell hellish environment of the victoria pavilion where there was all manner of mayhem and violence taking place right and then below that right about there is it which it's i know the reflection will allow you to see it well that's a picture taken in havana cuba um many many years ago right and um and then the one on the other side is a, is a photograph from a, a colleague a friend of mine um and yeah those are those are traditional black and white analog uh, uh, in your book borrowed time george mm -hmm. why is it called that first of all well i think kind of like all time was borrowed time in a sense right i, I like the idea that um uh you know i've had this opportunity to photograph in the city uh you know I'm, I'm keenly aware as i get older that you know it's it, my my years are limited going forward but it's all just about that idea of, you know photography is all about kind of capturing holding imagery and so you are kind of borrowing from the, the, right. the flow of time you're, you're borrowing you're extracting your uh scavenging little moments out of out of, out of that that eternal flow right and it's uh you know photography in general is about that again that idea of um seeing change wanting to hold on to things and you know i, I have sort of a bad personality after mm -hmm. which is very valuable in photography though and that is that uh, i hate change right <laughs> i don't want things to change i want them to stay the same right and of course that's not the way the world is but photography um at least gives you the kind of the illusion that you're able to you're able to staunch the, the flow of time you know and it's not real but it's it's a comforting illusion for them and there's something about nostalgia that's comforting well you know it's true and you know whether it's a younger person like yourself you know uh there, there's music and there's television and movies that you will see 
you know, between say how, how old you are now and going back till you were like maybe seven or eight years old, that stuff gets really deeply embedded. And you know, that, that's always the way it is. Now there's your generation will have a different sense of what's deeply meaningful and important than mine will. But it, it's it, it, photographs are comforting. They have, they have a, a capacity to uh, connect us to our personal histories, to the, the histories of our, you know, our communities and that sort of thing. Um, and that's uh, that's that's a that's a very precious thing, right? I remember my mother passed away about uh, ten years ago, but my my youngest sister asked my mom what she would like. She was she was in a care facility, and my mom said, "Well, well Betty, would you make me a a bulletin board and and you know put some photographs of dad and you kids and stuff up on there?" And that you know she led a wonderful full life, but her most treasured possession in the last months of her life was this was this simple bulletin board with these photographs and you know and I and I sense that she's not unique in that I, think, I sense there'll be a I sense there'll be a time in my life or yours uh where you know an album or a, or a set of photographs um whether they're on a computer screen or in an album or something like that will just touch us very deeply and they'll connect us to parts of our personal and family history that in a way that very few other things can no, absolutely. My mom passed away, what was it? Yeah, three years ago now. So August 7th was three years for her. She passed away at 55 years old. Right? So you, it's funny because I have so many photograph, uh, photographs of her in the home. And um, yeah, it just takes you back to old trips and, yeah. you know, the simpler times. And that's what's meaningful to me. I always say is... Um, if anything ever happened to the home, I don't care about the computer and all these things. It's the photos. Those are the priceless things that we we have. And uh, you almost got to cherish those things because that's general. That only happens one time. You're so right about that. And you know what you just referenced there, Zach, you know, I, I remember a number of years ago watching a, a story on the CBC about a family that had been, you know, devastated by the fires in, in Kelowna. And the, the wife said, yeah, you know, uh, the two things were the dog and the photo album, right? And I mean, I mean, it's there's something enormously precious and irreplaceable and uh, deeply touching about, about about the still image, you know. And absolutely. so, you're you're, exactly, you're absolutely right about that. I think. George, you know, when you're looking at preserving and archiving photos, which you have done in a physical copy for individuals, which is a blessing, and thank you for that. What can people do to preserve their old photos if they're not going to end up in a in a museum or an archive? Can they take their photos and make it digital? Because you don't know what tomorrow holds for us. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's a, it's an interesting question, and um, certainly old family photographs uh, can be digitized. There's places around Calgary right. that do that sort of a thing. And then they can be archived, you know, on a computer or in the cloud or something like that. There's also uh, that that reverse psychology of that, which is uh, also worth some thought, I suppose, is that um, sometimes taking that those hundreds of digital photographs you have and, you know, going and getting some, you know, inexpensive prints done and, and put into an album, mm -hmm. that can be attractive. Uh, the, the, the downside with the album is that maybe there will be the fire. The downside with the digital captures, you know, are, are you know, are, are the formats, are the are the services that are holding the stuff. Is all this stuff going to be viable? You know, there's so there's 
like I think a physical print is 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 a potentially a valuable thing, right? Or or a set of them that can be maybe distributed to family. Uh, I'm just I'm not a hundred percent sure about you know just how accessible digital right. will be forever and ever kind of a thing compared to a, a photograph. But there's no easy solution. I remember, I heard one sort of cautionary horrifying <laughs> story a number of years ago. Um, uh, a photographer had a large set of uh, important analog photographs, and he thought she's out of the Kennedy family, you know, John F. Kennedy and Jackie and their kids. And he thought, gee, where, how do I store this stuff so it's going to be accessible and safe? So he did a lot of research uh, and he uh, took all of his negatives, all of his, and he, he found what he believed was the most, was the safest uh, uh, safety deposit box on the, on the East Coast of the United States. So he got all the stuff in, he put it in there, it went in the safe deposit box. Guess where the safe deposit box was? In the World Trade Center. Which was, you know, hit by the plane just after the stuff got in there. So, you know, oh my goodness. should be treated with care, yeah. um, backed up multiple times and ideally in kind of a generic format, like a JPEG mm -hmm. or something like that, if it's digital. But, you know, there's something to be said for a little album kind of a thing, right? a yeah. physical thing that if that's cared for, uh, that's something that can be picked up and looked at, you know, in 100 or 200 years. You know, it's like you might possibly have seen physical prints of your grandparents who were done years ago. So there's kind of those opposing channels, right? right. You can either analogize the, the digital stuff or you can make sure that, the you know, the analog stuff is converted to digital and then hope that, you know, services and, and storage media and formats kind of... Um, uh -huh. Uh, work. But just like this guy in New York and like all photographs, as I don't have to tell you, uh, they're all on borrowed time. At some point, you know, most photographs are going to disappear, right? You know, um, but, but that, that, that sense, that promise, that, that illusion, I guess we could say that, they, that they're going to last for a very long time is, is a very seductive one. And they are among the most permanent things any of us have, right? I mean, think of your furniture, clothes, all the stuff you have, how that just kind of goes through your life, it sweeps through. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about your mom, the photographs that you have of her, uh, those things are, uh, are are precious and irreplaceable, right. and you, you treat them as such. Yeah. You know, our phones, we take photos of random things and we move on and maybe we'll post it on social media. Mm -hmm. And we barely go back and look at those photos on our phone. Unless you're talking about a moment and you're, you're with a friend or somebody, but other, other than that, yeah. no one does that, you know, but with a physical book like this, it sits on my coffee table and I can literally Many actually add a couple of friends over <laughs> and, and just going through and they think, holy smokes, this is amazing. I mean, you've got the Cecil Hotel in here. I love there's a, a photo of a gentleman and he's got the sunshine girls in the back. And that takes you back because you go to the mechanic yeah. shops and you'll always have the sunshine girl there. So that took me back a bit. Um, seeing the newspaper stands, those are fading. You don't see that anymore. Yes. yes. Well, you know, it's interesting and because of my age, partly, mm -hmm. you know, I'm really tuned into the idea that the kind of the commonplace and the stuff that you walk by every day, that's really the gems, right? It, it's not the kind of the special stuff. It's kind of the ordinary stuff. Uh, that um, seems to, uh, you know, be burnished and made more special with the passage of time because it's it is kind of 
overlooked, right? And right. as you get older, to be my age, you've, you've seen so much stuff disappear that you kind of it alerts you to the, some of the possibilities of these places. So, how important is physical to you versus having everything on digital and one day going to look back? How important is it for you to see books and print out books and write them? Well, you know, it's it's partly a generational thing. Um, I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I. The thing that really inspired me and turned me on to photography was one particular book, right? Over the years, I built up a, a large library of, of photography books. And um, I think personally, and this is just a personal opinion, I, I think they're one of the best ways to look at photographs. There, there's, there, you can see photographs in exhibitions. You can see uh, photographs on phones or on laptops. Uh, there's something about the, the physicality uh, the beauty, the, the the sort of like the chunky, yummy factor, like thinking of a big chocolate bar quality of, of a book that I really like. And there's a certain, you know, there's a certain uh, honor that, or respect that's being that's being paid to the work if it, you know, if it makes it in, in, into a into a book. So I, I, uh, I, for me, it's it's like I'm a book guy, right? I do have stuff online and I do exhibit work, but. I think if someone was to look at my photography, uh, the best way to uh, experience it would be in a book because it's it's always kind of in the back of my mind that you know how would this look on the printed page, and because it was such an important entree for me into uh, my love of photography, I, uh, I I really like I really like the right. book. You know, people probably don't realize the amount of stress that comes along with doing all these things. I mean. You could go back in your photos, your archives and say, hey, I want to use this photo for this book, for example, because it goes from 1976 to 2019. When you look at your old photos, are you at times upset with yourself, so-called, saying, oh, I could have done better because your skill today is so much different than what it was then? Yeah. I think that's true. You know, um, it's it's uncommon that you come back with something that, that you feel is is perfect. Um, but in a strange way, I think the fact that when I was young, I was I was less sort of sure of myself. I was a little bit timid, right, when I was out photographing. And I shouldn't admit this publicly and have you record it, but I think that in some ways, I'm going to say my years between, say, like my mid thirties and my mid fifties might've been my best. I think now I'm a little bit, I'm not going to say overly confident, but, I, but I've done things so many times uh, that I, I started sometimes fall into kind of a, a habitual patterns. Mm -hmm. of I remember when I first started photographing, I was just, I thought, you know, how can I go up to talk to somebody that, that I've never met and, 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 and convince or ask them if, if, if they can, if, if they would be willing to be photographed. And, I think I brought kind of a, a, a heightened sense of empathy or something to, 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 to the encounters. And uh, so, you know, really knowing what you're doing, while it sounds like a good thing, maybe isn't always, right? I mean, it, it, you're, you're perhaps a little bit more open to chance, uh, to, uh, to not fully understanding what you're doing, but then falling into something better than you could have maybe uh, constructed. Right. So, um, do you think the stakes are higher because now you're an author, you've got many books out there, very well deserved accolades, mm -hmm. you know, you're in the Hall of Fame. 
how is that is there pressure now on you uh and does that apply a creative block to certain things or certain movements you would have been interested in doing yeah you know there it's you it, it shouldn't be that way but i think people are and i I would, I would say that's true for myself as well you sort of uh there are certain expectations that people have about you know what my work uh, should look like and um you know it's it's interesting it's it's a little bit like athletes and musicians and i guess photographers are part of it uh you know it's rare sadly but it's true uh that when you get to a certain age you, that your work is as good i mean there, there's kind of a quality of um of freshness and kind of a uh, an energy that is sometimes part of a, a younger person's uh gift that uh it sort of diminishes over the course of time um i uh I, I think what I do is still good and still valid. But when I look back at when I, and I, when I look back at many artists, uh, photographers that I really reverence, I mean, I think that their work was, was was always good. But that little piece of capturing lightning in a bottle moment, like say somebody like Cartier Bresson, he photographed till he was eighty. He, 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 wow. he did great stuff. But when you look back with a really critical eye. You know, it was probably between the ages of about 25 and 40 that he just, I mean, not only was the work good, which is important, but he was sort of bringing something kind of unique and special to photography. So it's 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 beyond just the photograph. It's it's about, and I'm not in any way including myself, but when you look at the work of the really great photographers, they're actually opening up some new little scenes or opportunities, right? And that's, you think about music and stuff as well. Picasso, there was a moment. Think of Picasso. Think of Elvis, right? Think of the early stuff. Right? There was a moment where talent, timing, uh, ability, and the world being ready for that new little thing coming into it was 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 everything kind of came together. Right. And to have all of that stuff come together, even once or for a short period of time, is is pretty miraculous. But yeah, Picasso continued to work, and but you know the stuff that, that he's known for and reverence for, or something like Andy Warhol, for instance. There was just that there was that little lightning in a bottle moment for them, sort of. And but of course, it, it can't stop. I, Picasso couldn't. I can't. You know, Warhol couldn't. Uh, you you continue to want to make work, and you you don't really know mm. uh, if it's you know what the long term is going to be for it. But you know, history I would say generally shows that some very lucky people get it for a little while, right? But they don't get it for a long time. That just, sure. it just, just doesn't, doesn't happen. When you went to the Badlands, by the way, there's a book out there. Did you go to your homestead or where you grew up? Did you go see what it looks like now? Uh, yeah, well, the, the house that I was uh, brought to, you know, just after I was born, I'm part of a big Catholic family. Right. I've got six brothers and sisters. Uh, that's still there and stuff like that. I love you. You've kind of identified something that's really central to me. Uh, some photographers and some artists get huge um, inspiration out of seeing something that's new. I'd say, I'd say probably most people do, right? A new experience or something like that. I always get, get really turned on by going back to some place. If it's something that I've seen and then I go back to it over and over, to me, the experience gets richer and richer with repetition. And so I saw the house and then. Um, I saw the lot where our second house was. The house had been jacked up and moved somewhere else. Um, but those things um, really 
in a sense, you've kind of identified again one of the central elements of my career. Uh, you know, I was a kid. I lived in Drumheller until I was seven. So I saw the Badlands. I saw the Hutterites. I saw the First Nations. I saw small town Alberta. And I left when I was seven to, to come to Calgary. And then about 20 years later, when I was 27, I picked up a camera and started to photograph. And so I went knowing a little bit about photography, but I still had the eye and the brain of a seven-year-old, essentially. Right? So that was, an, that was an incredibly valuable thing. I think if I had been born in Drummond and stayed there until I was 27, none of this would have happened. It was that initial ex experience, then being pulled away from it, and then coming back as an adult, that was just like a, ph a phenomenal recipe. And it, it, it became the, the energy for, you know, what's now been a 40 plus year career. It was an imagination. It was an early exposure, that distance, that time away, coming back. Yeah, you can see what you're yeah. saying. It was magic. It was magic for sure. When you look at Calgary as a whole, I mean, George, you've seen this city grow. Yeah. I mean, the Cecil Hotel, the Shamrock, uh, King Eddie, oh, you name it. You, you've been there, you've seen it. How do you feel when you see new skyscrapers coming in and all these condos coming in and you're saying, oh my God, it must be hard because these are moments that you've captured in time that will no longer ever be there again. Is it hard for you at times? Well, you know, I know like when we came to Calgary, there's about 200,000 people, right? I think it's probably about 1.2 or 4 million. Yeah. Um, I do have an affection, as we talked about earlier, for these places that I've seen. And, right. and there's a kind of a, you know, if you look at the work, uh, there, there's obviously kind of an affection for the, for, the, for the grittier aspects, for maybe people that are up against some, you know, difficult odds and situations in their lives. And also, I just, and this is just, again, a personal thing. It's not a, a general statement. I just think that, you know, you go down to the Cecil Hotel or, or to a trailer park or something like that. That material seems enormously rich for a photographer, mm. for someone like myself. You know, if I walk through, uh, you know, through a, a new development, um, you know, condos or whatever, and again, I'm not criticizing, but but it, it seems to be hard to to to, to, to for me to to gain purchase okay. on something like that. Having said that, there's I know that there's somebody your age or younger in Calgary right now who's either starting or who will at some point walk through that those through those new developments and places, and they'll bring something of themselves to it and and, and make great photographs. Yeah. Um, you know, the city has been great to me in, in many ways and it, the change and everything is just inevitable. Like I said, I, I, I have a hard time with change. So I'm, I'm fighting it, you know, with tooth and nail, but, uh, you know, that's one of the gifts of photography. Photography, again, permits at least the illusion of being able to hold on to things. Mm -hmm. And many, many wonderful things have happened in the city, the diversity, the, uh, of cultures and food and art. And I mean, you know, if it hadn't changed, it'd be kind of a boring place, you know, in comparison to what it is now. Mm -hmm. right now. You know, and, you know, one of your photos takes me back. Uh, it's on Stephen Avenue by the Bay and you can go underneath and they've got those arches, those beautiful arches that people walk through. 
Yeah. Yeah, a photo, I think it's in the 80s. And I was just, yeah. I'm like, hey, I was just there. Wow, that kind of makes me feel yeah. cool because it's, yes, I'm not wearing that style. My hair is not like that, but I've been right there. So it's just such a cozy, warm feeling. Yeah. George, before we get going, where do you see um, your photos and your inspiration and everything that you're doing? What do you hope for in the next 20, 30 years from now? Uh, that people get out of this? Well, you know, I think that um, photography has been, a, has, has been a great blessing in my life. There's no doubt about it. And I have, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that when people look at the work, they'll say, here was a guy who had great affection uh, for uh, his city. He felt blessed to live here. He loved this place. And wasn't that a cool, interesting place and a time that he lived in, right? You know, and I, I, I bring those same kinds of uh, feelings to, you know, when I look at Cartier-Bresson's work done in, yeah. um, in Paris or in France, you know, in the 1960s, or some of the work done by photographers like uh, Bruce Davidson or Deanne Arbus, right. taken in New York in the 50s and 60s, right? Um, and uh, so I, you know, you look at work uh, and you, uh, you, you gain a sense of not only the place, not only the people that are in the photographs, but on some level, uh, when you look at a body of work, it's 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 sort of uh, it's a bit of a biography of, of of the creator, the photographer, right? It gives you a a sense of um, you know his values and and things that that that, uh, that were attractive to him, and uh, so I think people maybe will say, Gee, here's a here's a here's a guy who got lucky and he he loved the place and uh, he loved the place he lived and he. Uh, he had the, the great blessing of being able to express that for, you know, for, for many decades. You know, I, I look at you, George, I hear you and I just see this energy of a sense of curiosity and it's, you're not done. There's still so much more that you just want to finish up. There's, there's quite a bit here. Am I right on that? I, I think I'm hoping that's going to be the case, right? You know, uh, again, I'm at an age, you know, so, you know, things don't just kind of work forever kind of a thing. Right? If you don't mind me asking, how old are you, George? I, I'm 70. I, I turned 70 recently. Wow, I wouldn't have never guessed. <laughs> and, um, but, um, and uh, so I, you know, but, 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 you know, that's all, that's, that's kind of an advantage though, because I do know realistically, you know, if I'm really, really super lucky, I'll have kind of the mental, the physical, maybe to work at a fairly high level for another five or 10 years, but not for another 25 or 30. Like, no. Right? Do you, so, so, so it's a bit of a spur to me to kind of, absolutely. Know, to, to try and use the time that I have uh, well. For sure. I had a question for you. I take photos, I put it on my computer or videography, I put it on the computer. How do you organize your stuff? Because for me, I might put like Glenmore Reservoir 2012 summer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I kind of, I, I've got sort of a, you know, I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you, it's kind of a crude system, but yeah. so I, I have folders, right? I mean, like I, I sort of do two things as you know, I do sort of assignment work and I, I'm doing right. less of it, but you know, magazine work, annual mm -hmm. work, thing. and I, I have folders uh, with like, Sate has been a big client for me over there. So I have a Sate folder and then I have subfolders in there with, you know, board chairman or heritage hall rule or whatever it is kind of thing, right? And then for my documentary work, which is what's you know you're looking at in the book, uh, I have uh, I have folders. It says Calgary Documentary 2012, Calgary Documentary 2013, Calgary Documentary 2014, or Alberta 2013, 2014, 2015, and then stuff just kind of goes in there. Like I caption that, so I shoot 
I come back, I caption, and then the documentary work goes into a folder, you know, and like that's just for instance, right? Like the the uh, Calgary documentary folder for let's say like last year might have like say 500 photographs on it, right? Because wow. I, I go through, I, I look, I and I'm a big fan personally of throwing stuff out. Like if I'm when I come back from a shoot, right? I, I look at the stuff, I caption it. And if the stuff is fairly good or good, it's it's in the dumpster immediately. Because otherwise I would just have so damn much stuff in there and I was wading through it. And because I've done this for a long time, and but I also believe, right? You know, you know, stuff that looks pretty good, it's not gonna look better in five years. It doesn't it's gonna look worse, kind of a thing, right? So I really try to restrict the amount of stuff that I keep. Like I shoot a fair bit, then I look at it carefully. And then I just try to keep the really good, just because otherwise the, the management of it would just get to be too onerous a task for me. Right? Do you put East Village to 2001, Inglewood 2001 in your Calgary subfolders? Or do you just kind of just, just dump it all in there? Because that would be so much no, to go through. No, well, what I do typically, um, uh, and this is just so I can keep track of stuff, like in the, um, if I'm photographing a person, like, you know, the, those individuals that are in the, the like some of the like the, the like the trailer park stuff right so it'll be midfield mobile and then it'll be john smith mary brown sid whatever kind of a thing right and when i'm photographing like um like street scenes or something like that it'll be say like bay number one or bay number two bay number three or four or something like that uh, or if I'm photographing in a street, it might be like, you know, a corner of 16th Avenue and 10th Street or something like that, right? It's a bit of a pain doing this stuff, but it's actually, it makes the, I do it partly so I've got unique or semi-unique captions, right? I mean, so that, you know, when I'm looking through this stuff, um, but I, like, so I, I work with Nikon stuff. So I bring it in, I go to Nikon view, I look at it, I just, I dump a bunch of stuff. I caption it and then I pull it into, and the one, the two main ones that I'm working with at this particular point in time are is Calgary Documentary 2022, uh, Alberta Towns 2022, and Saskatchewan Towns 2022. So, like, you know, by the end of the year, there'll probably be somewhere in the range of maybe certainly less than a thousand photographs for sure. And I might have shot 10,000 or something, right? But I, I really, into you know deleting stuff you know um and i don't know if, i don't know if that helps. if you have a follow-up question i'm happy to no that totally helps yeah no it's really crude you know it's it would probably horrify a lot of people right? oh my goodness because, because i have bridge i have you know photoshop and bridge i can sort of if i'm looking for like say caster i'll uh, take that in because it's a label caster alberta yeah 2007 and caster alberta 2022 right like i can i can sort of get at stuff but um it's it's a really crude system and it's based on the fact that i don't keep a whole pile of stuff. See, that's the thing i mean i can go through hard drives and hard drives of videography mm -hmm. and photography and i'm thinking mm -hmm. what the hell and and yeah thank you for that clarification because i said ah, it's an okay photo uh, maybe it'll come in handy one day it's never good. I'm not, I don't, I don't like it now. I'm never going to like it. That's right, man. Well, you know, if anything happened, this is, and I, I, just to be completely honest about this, uh, 
with analog, you have to keep everything. You can't kind of dispose no. of stuff, right? But I do believe myself that almost always you sort of know. It's not that you're trying to be hard on yourself, but you know, is this is this like really really good? Am I going to want this or? Uh, so you keep all the stuff because it's really really good. Uh -huh. uh, a, a percentage of the stuff that you think is really really good actually will be, and that, there's usually for me, on average, anywhere from one to two years between when I shoot something and when I actually maybe like print it or edit it. I just kind of goes in there and then I'm just always churning right now I will share with you something though uh during the co during COVID um I had done a book on the Hutterites and I'd done lots of stuff and I was looking back through some of the old negatives and I thought wow there's some really good stuff in here right so I went in and I probably printed about 40 images that I that I would have been in the dumpster right but so we're talking I was wrong only 30 or 40 times and 30 years kind of a thing, right? So you have to, you know, you, you are occasionally going to pitch out stuff that you wish you would have had, but not very darn often kind of a thing. Right? When you take photos of individuals that may no longer be here now, mm -hmm. have their families ever reached out to you and said, hey, George, do you have any other angles? Do you, is that the only one you have? Yeah, well, it has happened a couple of times, right? And it's, uh, it's often happened... Uh, like there was a situation a couple of years ago where a young Hutterite boy that I photographed was tragically killed in an accident in a dairy barn. Right? So his father reached out to me. Uh, there's a picture in the book that you've got there of a guy sitting in a room with a baseball cap, kind of with yes. a head turned to the side and a picture in the back. Uh, a friend of mine knew I'm just going to get this right. A friend of mine knew that guy's sister. And when my friend saw, we did a little presentation at the camera store, it was flipping through. My friend saw that. She said, oh my God, that's John. That's, this, this, that's the brother of this woman, this friend of hers, right? And he had died a number of years earlier as well. And uh, so she contacted me and you know I, I didn't have any of the pictures but 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 it, well I said well, I, I referenced it to the book right, right which he ordered so yeah sometimes that does happen where where people um either in a book or sometimes online they see something and then yeah sometimes you know sometimes there might be an, an additional or, or alternate photograph but but you know I'll sometimes send them just a, a low res digital file or say well you know this is you know there's a book that that you know that you can get here if you want you know that it, it's available that happens fairly rarely but it but it but it has happened over the years right right and um you know and, and you know I, I don't want to take a lot more of your time but a number of years ago i took a photograph and this is kind of i think a great i took a photograph of two women and it's actually i think it is in the book you see like they're a couple like they're kind of uh same sex couple there's a girl in a pink shirt and a blue shirt i think i think there is one in here yeah it's it's, it's, it's it's done during this in the stampede right and uh so i took the photograph and then you know what i was gonna put it in the book and it, it actually appeared in an earlier book as well right a book right. Uh, called um uh, in this place so when i took it i kind of thought as i often do that gee what would happen if this goes in the book and this and these these there's been a bad breakup or something like that, right? And then, oh God, right? Wouldn't that be unfortunate? I mean, legally, you know, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms permits, you know, 
journalistic document. It's 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 legal, and they, you know. So I, one day I get I'm at home. I get an email from him. It says, "Oh, hello, Mister. My name is such and such." And there was a photograph of me and my uh, partner, my girlfriend, and I'm thinking, "Oh my God, where is this?" Here I go. Yeah, where did it? Where? But she then went on to say, um, uh, "You know, um, I'm the dark-haired, shorter woman, and the taller, blonder woman is my partner, and we recently married. We'd love to meet you and have you sign uh, a copy of the book for us." Right. So that was a case of a best case oh, scenario happening, right? But I am. I, I am thoughtful about those kinds of things because even though it's legal and everything else, I just would never want to have something published. But I mean, and there's no way to be 100% safe. All you can do is be as, as careful and respectful as possible. But in that case, I met these two, and it was just it was lovely. And they, you know, and I haven't communicated with them for for many years. But and but I I hope that you know when people look at the work that it's almost always celebratory or respectful, you know, and, uh, and there's a lot of stuff that I've shot and it wasn't that I wanted, but I got a picture of somebody, you know, makes them look bad. Well, that stuff, I'm not going to publish that. Right? No, I, for sure. I, I feel terrible or something like that. Is do. there a photo that is meaningful to you? Like it's the end all be all photo. There's one that's a good candidate that happens to be my mom's favorite photograph as well. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you've seen a book called, um, very gothic but but if you okay well if 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 you look in that book and actually on my website there's the covers of the nine books or the okay of the 10 books that i've done and if you click on the cover of something called prairie gothic um uh there like or any of them it it shows you it shows you like 12 photographs 12 selected images so there's 12 photographs out of borrowed time there's 12 photographs out of prairie gothic are you actually hunting for it now? Because if you if you can see it when I tell you, it'll be even more impactful. Okay, uh, which one would it be? So it's if you're in there, you'll see a picture of a Chinese couple standing side by side in a in a kind of a convenience story. That's not couple. this one, right? No. Uh, no, that's a father and daughter. It's 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 close to that. It's sort of. Oh uh, yes! Wow. Just hold it up for a minute. I just make sure okay. we're about the same that we're talking about the same thing. So. Just hold your phone up if you yeah, make sure it's telling you. This is really cool. <clears throat> Holy. Okay. So just, yeah, hold it up so I can see if it is. Yes. Okay. So the backstory on that is, 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 is pretty astonishing. Um, I went into that little store and it's in a place called New Dayton, which is not far from Lethbridge in 1988. And I took a photograph of Mr. Chu or no, I went in and I said, may I take a photograph? And he said, well, just wait a minute. So he went into the back, he put a tie on, right? right. He came back out, he stood there, <clears throat> I photographed. I was getting near the end of a, of a 12 exposure roll of film. I had six frames left in it. Uh, and I didn't have any more film. So mm -hmm. he said, would you wait just a minute? He said, I'm, I'm gonna go back and get my wife and I'm gonna bring her out. Would you take a photograph of her as well? So I said, for sure. Now. Every time I was about ready to shoot, because I had to use a long exposure, she would move or they would talk. I was getting right down to like two or three frames. Right? So I, I took the photograph. He said, can you send me a copy of that photograph? I said, yes. So he went behind the counter and he pulled out a pack of Wrigley's spearmint gum and put it down on the counter in payment for the photograph. Right. So I printed it, I sent it. A little while later, 
I went back and I and and here's the amazing part of the story. I found out that they had been married in China in 1930. I think she was um, expecting uh, a, a, a child. This is in 1931. The, the plan for the family was he was going to um, return to New Dayton, get the general store fully up and running, and then he was going to send for her and what would be this newborn child. This is 1931, right? Because of immigration laws and family finances and the like, she wasn't able to join him in Canada until 1986. They didn't lay eyes on each other for 55 years. To the best of my knowledge, they didn't speak to each other for 55 years. But they, they, they corresponded by, um, by letter. When she came to Canada, because she was a very elderly woman, she had to have a younger companion. And that younger companion was his grandson. So his only experience, Mr. Chu's only experience of his own son was to see her, him in the belly of his wife. He never, he never met his own, his own son in his whole life, right? He was apart from his wife for 55 years. And he met his grandson. He met his grandson, the son of the son that he never met, right? And when people hear that story, I mean, there's often two responses. One is that it's heartbreaking, obviously, but on another level, it's an extraordinary testament to human resilience and the fact that they so wanted to be back together. Loyalty, character. That's right. That's right. All that stuff. And then, um, so she came, she lived, and I just think, you know, here's coming from this huge city in China. She's, she's, she's looking out a window and all you can see is like nothing, just as far to Saskatchewan, as far as you can see, right? And I just imagine her, you know, seeing her husband and being in this surreal place, right? right. And when I went back a number of years later, and there's a photograph, it's, I don't know if it's in the little small set, but it might be, with an empty storefront. And when I went into the store, I went into the back, it had been abandoned. There were two little tiny beds head-to-head uh, -head at the back. Now, that, there's not a photograph of that. No, I don't see it. But but there might be a photograph of the empty store, possibly. I, Is I it? It wouldn't be this one, right? Uh, no, it, it should be right. It's it's like, if it's in there at all, at all, it's the exact same picture of the two of them together. Just without the... Just empty, it's the empty interior, right? Right. And, oh. um, and uh, so, if, you know, if you I'll find it, yeah, absolutely. At some point, but anyhow, so she lived for about six months, and then she passed away, right? Wow. And then he he lived for a short time after that, and I was able to track down the grandson, right? And the grandson gave me a copy of the obituary and and his obituary, and it said uh, somebody asked him, and he said, "What would it like?" And he said, "You know," he said, "It was the great moment of my life." As you can, when he, when he laid eyes on his wife after fifty five years, right? So, you know that sort of a thing. I mean, it's so. 
I mean, it's 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 everything. It's the photograph. It's the backstory. It's 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 emblematic of these new Canadians, what they went through, as you said so eloquently. It, it touches on values. It touches on issues of loyalty, tradition, family, all of those things, right? And I think those are the reasons that it meant so much to my mom. And I I don't. And again, you know, the fact that I was in that store. I'm a Catholic, so I, I think it was a blessing. But some Absolutely. of my friends, it was, it was luck. But whatever it was, there was all these events and situations, and there was just this one little moment in my life where a particular place and those two people and me and timing all came. So they could have missed the hundred, the thousand ways that that could not have happened. It was only one way that it could have, right? And so I... I believe sometimes that uh, the good Lord brings me to places, Absolutely. Um, you know, because how else do you explain? Mm -hmm. it? George, you have this photo I saw in Prairie Gothic of a lady, a, a daughter, maybe, and a dad. Is that what that is? The the, the um, woman in the wheelchair. Woman in the wheelchair. There we go. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. What a great shot. I mean, this takes you back to with the wood paneling. The... Yeah. Well, there's all of that. But then again, there's that, and you know, in the book, if you ever do see, I'm going book, to, George. Yeah. Goes, I'm going to have to grab your next book now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there, I, I have done more yeah. thoughtful, well-written pieces on a number of these people, but in that particular case, I was in a post office in a little town. I can't even remember, and I, I photographed the postmaster, and he said, "You should meet uh, Torvald. He lives just down the street." So the post guy phones this guy, Torvald Scotland. And so I drive over and park in front of us. This guy just comes up the door like, you know, this happens all the time, right? I mean, like he was expected. So I went into the house and um, I saw his daughter from behind. And, uh, you know, uh, so he invited me in. I, I, uh, but you could see that she was developmentally handicapped in some way. And she had, my sister who's a nurse looked at the photograph and said that she uh, believed that she might've been hydrocephalic with an enlarged cranial right. mass and that that caused some cognitive impairment. And she didn't speak. She was kind of like a child. She was coloring and she was like, a, it'd be like being around a five-year-old girl or something like that. Right? So we took the photograph. He asked me for a copy of it, which I said, that'd be fine. And then I said, well, what's the address? And he said, uh, well, I can't really remember. He gave me the answer, but he couldn't remember the postal code. So he was in the kitchen looking. I was looking in the living room. He was sort of between us, essentially, in a kind right. of dining room. And so we were rummaging around, rummaging around, looking, 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 <laughs> calling back and forth. And then all of a sudden, uh, where she is sitting, we see this arm come up. And she says something like T2M3L4 and puts the letter down. And you think, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, it was just so like magical, right? It was mm -hmm. so incredible. And that's when those kind of things happen, that's just, you know, that's just, that's a, as good as it can get, right? And, and those moments do happen. If you're out there, they don't happen often, but they do happen. And if you're out there, uh, they happen. And those are, those things are so precious to me. Why is that book called Prairie Gothic before we get going here, George? 
I think the publisher came up with that title, yeah. Report of Light, you know, and it's uh, it's about the prayers. And there's, I don't know if you know, you probably do that. There's an American famous painting called American Gothic. It's I have with the pitchforks. Yes. Kind of a thing, right? Yeah. And, it's, and it's this kind of straightforward, unadorned quality to it. Uh, you know, this kind of truth telling, this direct way of, you know, telling a story that I think that the publisher, Don Gorman, sort of thought. You know, so it's it's not gothic in the sense of horror, but it's gothic in the sense of a certain kind of straightforward reality. I think, um, and uh, I didn't particularly like the title actually, when I came up with it, but I uh, but I I I've grown to um, I've, I've grown to, to understand, to, to be, yeah, to, to be to be fond of it. If it's it. funny when you look at the old photographs; people just all stand in one line and not smile yeah. and yes. <laughs> And it's really kind of telling, too, because, you know, when it, it, a lot of those photographs were done with a camera that had to shoot quite slowly. And there is something about having to stand there. It's almost in a gentle way. It's a, kind of a gentle interrogation. When you see people moving and stuff, they can kind of get away with stuff. But if you know that camera was pointed right at you. You're in headlights. Kind of a masking going on in a situation like that, which can be... Kind of revealing, I think, too. Well, George, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Zach, this has been just awesome. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, I really appreciated meeting it. So I hope we'll be able to Thank you, George. Okay. Chat Thank soon. you so much. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye, Zach.